if you're looking to scale a successful brand or successful business full stop in a new market, then you've got to really understand how much shock you can have there. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers. It's a very specific niche we're calling out there. Today, we are talking to Tom Meek from Payoneer. Payoneer is one of the places to go for any international currency exchanges, and they have a massive network these days of expert partners as well. So they're far more than just a, a payments provider. I think there is real sort of hub of international services. So Tom, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. And uh, yeah, good, good to be here and looking forward to, to, to today's discussion. That was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, like myself, you're based in, in the UK. I guess in the UK, we have to think about international expansion a little bit earlier than our friends in America would because the markets in the UK itself are quite small if we insist on staying only there. So a lot of people listening will be in the UK and wanting to expand to America or possibly Europe. Some of our listeners will be in North America wanting to get the opposite way around. We're going to deal with a couple of questions, which is international expansion. Is it worth it? And, and if it is, what do we need to do? Most of the focus on it. First question for you, Tom, then is really, is it worth bothering with in general? It's a big question. I think that the obvious answer there is that it's a hundred percent. Yes. E-commerce is very clearly growing year on year. And of course, through, uh, through COVID, there's been a, a huge spike in, in, in demand. I think that there's a lot of different areas that need to be focused on as an e-commerce seller, which really, you know, is, is going to determine at what point you expand, how you expand. Do you go in slowly or do you jump in with, with two feet, which is generally what we would re recommend. But yeah, I'd say the opportunity is still there. The amount of users is always increasing and obviously the revenue is increasing off the back of that. That's uh, very good points. And I, I guess the other thing I would add to that is I've known quite a few people who during the sort of crazy times of COVID and we we're entering more interesting times, aren't we, with uh, various things, supply chain shortages and now hyperinflation yet, but high inflation in the US uh, and the UK to some extent. 
it is a bit of a hedge against something strange happening in one marketplace, which really hits your sales. So for example, somebody in the US in mid-2020 that I know, Kevin Sanderson, who we discussed it with then, was selling most of his sales in North America, in America particularly, and a bit in Canada. And then that almost got shut down and his European sales really saved the bacon of his company. That's without even talking about exchange rate fluctuations or geopolitics. So if you were selling in the USA in 2016 and suddenly your import tariffs shot up, but you were also selling into Europe where they stayed the same between China and Europe and China and UK. Those are a couple of examples, aren't they? So I would add your cry to, to really consider it. So let's get into our checklist. Before we do that, we ought to hear a little bit about you. Tell us a bit more about you and, and your role at Pioneer as well. My name's Tom Meek. I've been within the e-commerce space for coming up five years. Uh, I actually started my journey at an accounting and tax firm. So I was helping really thousands of, of e-commerce sellers to expand into the likes of the US, Australia, the UAE, Europe, UK, and, and many more as well. And that was, wasn't just from a tax perspective, that was also just a, a general expansion, advice, consultancy. So I've done that for many years and, and assisted thousands of, of businesses of all sizes from you know, your, your original startups that are selling just in their home country to you know, larger firms that are you know, turning over a million a month on various channels. But that's where I started things. I've now, of course, working for Payoneer. And uh, as Michael mentioned, the Payoneer are a huge company that was incorporated in 2005. And the uh, idea of Payoneer and, and concept is that we uh, assist businesses with their expansion by really assisting in the payments piece making and receiving of international payments, paying it, access like a, a bank account for your business to be able to take that leap into those new markets. Your background in a bit more generally is helpful here because what we're going to do is a bit of a sort of overview today of what you need to do. If you're going to go expanding internationally, then what's our checklist? So what's the first item then on our checklist, Tom? There's so many different things that we could talk about today. I think if we hit the, the, the top ones, I think... Um, of course, like we're presuming that most businesses listening today have already sourced their products, taking that step into selling in, in their home market. This is then thinking about taking that next step into uh, to expansion into a new market. So I guess number one is really identifying where that's going to be and which country or, or which marketplace that will be. But I think it's really important that sellers of, of all sizes uh, in all verticals and all niches will need to do their due diligence and to really understand where their products are going to be you know, most sought after and where the demand is and taking into effect the, the competition, the pricing, all of the other aspects that, that come into that. So really getting to grips for where your products are going to sell well. So really you know, digging deep into the, to the country and, and to the marketplace. As we know, it's not just Amazon. I know Amazon's a, a really easy marketplace to really get your teeth into, especially at the start. And FBA makes it so easy to obviously then expand into new countries. But there are, of course, additional marketplaces outside of that. In some cases, actually leading above Amazon, especially when we talk about Europe, there's also some really quickly growing marketplaces in the UK as well, which again, if you've done the hard work of getting your products uh, into the country, why not think about further expanding your visibility online? So that's number one. Michael, I don't know if you had anything to chip in there. Yeah, just a couple of thoughts. It's a very good point that particularly in certain European countries like Bold.com in the Netherlands or C-Discount in France there, Bold.com is way bigger than Amazon in the Netherlands. I think they don't seem to have got their teeth into Amazon, into Netherlands there. And C-Discounts, I suppose Amazon's mostly the biggest. So that's probably the easiest starting point. I would suggest that if you don't have expertise available easily for fulfillment, and we'll talk about that, but FBA is your wisest starting point. 
The other thing I would say, let, let me just give a few specific countries. If you're based in the UK, Germany is not the simple place it was to sell, but it is still somewhere you should consider. If you're based in the US, then UK and Germany both invite themselves. Now for everybody, normally pretty neck and neck with the UK in terms of the size of the market. So that's another one that people tend to ignore because it's a bit tricky. And actually your tricky is the same as everyone else's tricky. And if you can be bothered to solve the problems and your competition can't, I think you've got a bit more of a barrier to entry. So personally, I would suggest being willing to jump through those hoops. <laughs> So talking of hoops, I guess one of the other things we've got to talk about is is tax, right? So we've got VAT in European countries. So I, mean, I guess it's got to be somewhere up on the top of our list. How do we begin to get our heads around that? Yeah, as you say, once you've really mapped out what that path of expansion looks like in terms of the, the geographical area that you're going to be expanding to, I suppose you've really got to dig into the checklist of, of those things and tax being one of the most important. Obviously, I'm not working for a tax firm anymore. I'm working for sort of a, a fintech payments company. So in terms of their the actual tax advice, I still recommend people going to directly speaking to a tax provider. But yeah, obviously, when you look at uh, various countries, let's take maybe like the UK and EU, it's all, always recommended that sellers have VAT numbers in place prior before to actually expanding or actually having physical stock held there, because it's going to be a requirement of each country to have a VAT number actually in the country that you're going to have physical stock in. As I'm sure a lot of people are aware, there's been a whole load of changes in sort of the, the EU and, and UK. I'm sure it's probably been a, a bit of a whirlwind for those that are selling there already, but it's for the best. It's complicated. Any change is complicated at the start, but it is going to make everyone's lives easier as time goes on. And the main reason that is, is because when we talk about expanding your business from the US into, let's say, the EU or UK, if you're just selling on a marketplace, then Amazon or the e-commerce marketplace that you're selling on will be known as the deemed supplier, which basically means that they're going to be remitting that tax for you as it happens, similar to the US system as well. Certainly on the check this, you've really got to nail down onto the taxes. It doesn't mean that you don't need to register for VAT. You still very much need to do, but the process of actual remitting the VAT is going to be much, much easier because it's done for you. And then things like import VAT and really calculating what that import VAT percentage is based on the VAT rate in the country that you're shipping to is another consideration because you've got all sorts of things to bear in mind with, you know, reclaiming that import VAT if you're VAT registered and, and obviously making sure that whole part of the expansion is seamless. That's uh, a good point. And it is uh, the sort of move towards the marketplaces being responsible for remitting sales tax in majority of, if not, I don't think quite all the states in the USA has been a welcome development. And yeah, it's good to see a similar development with VAT in Europe because VAT blows Americans' minds just as sales tax blows uh, Europeans' minds because <laughs> it's almost a different culture, isn't it? If you go into a shop in the States and you buy something and then they add sales tax, that sort of feels very strange for a European and vice versa. I say European, including UK and Europe in that case. Yes, the whole question of which country you're shipping into and the VAT rate is a very interesting one that people play in some games with, isn't it? So they ship into which other country they perceive as having a, a more lenient approach. Germany famously being not too lenient there, for example. And just to, to chip in there, sorry, Michael, just to, to maybe provide a bit of context as to the, the general pathway that we see. And you mentioned it earlier is that the UK pre-Brexit was the gateway into Europe. Um, and now everyone's having to separate the markets and uh, being separate entities, if you like. So what we see most businesses doing is that we're seeing sort of shipments going into the UK, shipments going into the EU separately, because obviously then there's, you don't get double 
taxed on by customs. So yeah, I would definitely say treat the territories differently as separate entities because it's going to be much, much easier for you as a business. And then when we look at Europe, if the UK isn't the place to ship to anymore and, and the Pan-EU FBA, which I'm sure a lot of people on here will be very familiar with, isn't actually facilitated via the UK anymore, which it's not then you're going to need a separate shipment into Europe. Now, as you said, Michael, you know, Germany tends to be the largest market up there with France. A lot of businesses will automatically think, great, let's get our stock into to Germany. And by all means, that can always be a really good route for expansion. But when we look at this customs procedures, it's much more tense. It takes a lot more time. It can be a bit more expensive to go through to Germany. So just to give you a, a bit of an idea as to what a lot, a lot of other businesses are doing, is actually going into the Netherlands because there's some really strong advantages like deferring your import VAT being one of them. And it's much, much quicker and easier to get stock in through the Netherlands. And it's a really uh, short journey up to the German fulfillment centers if we're talking about delivering to FBA. So hopefully that provides a bit more context around that. That's very helpful indeed. Yes, I would definitely say from the, the past year of the masterminds uh, sort of in 2021, experimented a great deal with the sort of EU-UK barrier and I would say mentally, you need to treat the UK like it's suddenly moved 3,000 miles away from the EU in terms of how easy and quick and expensive it was to move stock between the two entities. Absolutely incredible. It, it was, I would absolutely agree 1,000% that you need to have separate shipments to the UK or the U EU, depending on which one you're trying to sell to. I, I can't stress that enough based on the stress I've experienced with my clients. And then the other one is, yes, where you enter Europe is really critical because Europe's kind of a one thing if you're in the United States looking at it. But just like, to be fair, the United States is not just one thing. You have different sales tax and different other regulations as Prop 65 in California. Goodness knows that's hard enough. We are tending to talk about Americans shipping into Europe or starting to expand into Europe. We ought to address the sort of other way around in terms of tax. Uh, and again, not expecting you to be a tax specialist, but this is a sort of jumping off point, not an end point in terms of advice. What are your thoughts about somebody who's based, say, in the UK, who wants to start selling into the US? What's their kind of reverse? What's their, their pathway? It, it really depends on which marketplace you're selling on. I think, let's say it's an FBA and you're selling good volumes in the UK. Maybe you've expanded to Europe. Maybe your next step is the US. Again, a lot of things to consider, really the, the, the same aspects is making sure that the, the shipment uh, arrives on you know, whichever side of the states that you're looking to ship into, which FBA center, making sure that the states that you're actually going to be storing your products in, making sure that whether Amazon is going to be the facilitator of the sales tax. Because again, like you mentioned, there's a few states that Amazon does not have uh, the requirement currently to actually file and remit that tax. Generally speaking, it's becoming less and less. I think it's evident that the marketplace facilitator, as we call it, is, is kicking in, which basically means that Amazon, like it is in, across the UK and Europe, is becoming the deemed supplier, which means that they're actually technically paying that sales tax on behalf of, of you as a seller. And really, th there's not much more to it. Any country that you look at, there's always going to be those fundamentals to look into. But yeah, obviously, the States presents a huge opportunity in terms of market size. But of course, on, on the negatives, it's highly saturated as well. So really doing your due diligence before you actually expand to understand whether your products are well received and what, what that could look like is extremely important. I would just say on that front, people often see dollar signs when they, they see, my goodness, there's a million dollars of sales going based on a particular keyword. And so roughly you could say that niche is a million dollars a year market or month market or 10 million or whatever. But yes, agreed that a lot of the competition there is really harsh. So you need to be very careful that you can actually compete. And above all, I think don't go in underfunded if you go into the US. You're going to need deeper pockets than you would in the UK, in my experience.
Having said that, you can make a product work that is super niche and extremely specific in the US where the market just isn't big enough to support it in the UK or even Germany. So it, it can go two ways. So if in doubt, the niches are in the riches, as the Americans say, which always makes me twitch a bit because that's not how you say the word niche. It's true, <laughs> apart from the mispronunciation. And the other thing is, yeah, I would say the situation with sales tax for a very sort of amateur 60,000 foot view is sorting itself out. I wouldn't assume therefore that it is simple. And I think you do need to get good advice, but quite a few people seem not to agree on whether you should register for sales tax or not at all. If you're selling on Amazon, if you're selling on Shopify or something, your own channels, then it's a different thing. But if you're selling via marketplaces, what are you seeing? I'm not asking you to give tax advice, but what are you seeing your clients do in terms of registering for sales tax in the US? Are they all obediently registering in lots of different states or are they just holding off until they see which way things are going? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. I would definitely say that there is a mixture of people that do one or the other. I think some of the larger businesses are definitely wanting to, of course, be compliant from day one. And that is, of course, a requirement from a, a tax perspective. But as you say, if it's just an e-commerce platform like Amazon, um, then the rules are different from selling on Shopify. If that is the case, I would say that a lot of businesses will look at where their maximum exposure is to start off with, which is something called physical nexus. So if you actually have physical stock stored in a, a state where Amazon doesn't facilitate the sales tax, then it's going to be recommended, of course, from a tax provider that you do register. But on the flip side, I see a lot of businesses not worrying, especially if they're just selling on Amazon. The other thing I would say is I'm not suggesting so much that people would be slack about doing the right thing if that makes their business safer. All I can say is, and again, this is an anecdote, this is not tax advice. I'm not even remotely qualified to talk about sales tax at any technical level. But I have seen a couple of clients who've registered for sales tax everywhere they were supposed to, and then were chased around the planet wide by particularly California, because it's a rich state, but it's also, so it's got the resources to chase people, but it's also needs the money. Like a lot of the states in America are quite broke, um, partly because they have constitutions that mean they can't run a deficit and things like that. And, and again, like I'm not a constitutional expert, but the, the point is that they have the resources, but also the need for the money to chase you around. So it's a little bit like giving your address to the bailiffs sometimes. So I, all I would say is, put it this way, it's a bit more of a nuanced decision than it looks like to start with. California has some weird rules like Proposition 65, or I think that's what it is, that has all kinds of crazy ramifications. So go and Google it is what I would say and go and, you know, make a nuanced judgment on that is all I would say, because California is not something you want to mess with. And weirdly enough, if you register for sales tax, then they start chasing you for 10 other things in some cases. And that's what I've seen. Exactly why that works that way, I don't know, but I've seen that it has. There's always a, a few complications that can arise from these things that you don't expect. So, and the other the lesson from that I would take is just a simple one, which is don't just talk to sales um, tax experts, although you should. But I would say you need to talk to fellow sellers and get the sort of everyday lived experience. <laughs> because not always as pretty, is it, is the theory. So Let's move on to uh, the next thing. So we talked about tax, never fun, but necessary. We talked about the opportunity, which is exciting. What are the other things that we need to have some next on freight or checklist to, to be ready to expand? Yeah, of course. I haven't had a huge amount of exposure to, to, to shipping and logistics, but I think it's certainly that, that next thing to consider. I think to really understand the, the size and weight of your items and to understand what the shipping impact is, what the time frame is, so you can start getting a, an idea for what your run rate is and making sure that, that you are 
constantly in stock with Amazon. I know you don't want too much stock, but you don't want to run out at the same time. So that's certainly for me that the next piece is really understanding that path of, of getting from A to B from, let's say you're sourcing in China and you're shipping into Europe. And that is an example. Then making sure that what that is, what the timeframes are, what the costs are. And then aside from that, I think a lot of sellers have been open to inventory limits, which I always like to talk about because it you know, has had a large impact on the success of businesses last year, especially through the COVID-19 period, where Amazon was restricting the amount of stock that sellers could actually hold in a warehouse. And, and that's that was across many countries, not just the core US, UK and EU. So because of that, I think it's a lesson in itself. And if you're looking to scale a successful brand or successful business full stop in a new market, then you've got to really understand how much stock you can have there. And for me, my advice on, on a high level would be to look at using some sort of third-party logistics center on the side of, of Amazon FBA, not only because it can be cheaper because we know Amazon's FBA fees are high, but also because it allows you to, one, save costs because the fees are lower for storage. Two, it allows you to then drip feed your stock into an Amazon warehouse. So you can then, let's say it's a thousand units that you're allowed to ship into Germany. You can then keep you know topping that stock up as and when you need to. And instead of ordering from China for that shipment and waiting X number of weeks, months for it to come, it's already in country. It's easily transferred. So it's much more reliable and it won't affect your IPI score, which I'm sure everyone's aware of. And then there's also the facilitation of off Amazon sales. And I know that a lot of businesses are still using Amazon FBA to and their warehousing solution to facilitate sales on other marketplaces. But the likes of global e-commerce experts and Habu, to name a few, um, have great warehousing facilities in Europe, which actually will facilitate that sort of prime promise outside of Amazon, but also facilitate sales of, let's say, eBay, Bowl, we mentioned, and, and many other markets as well. So definitely for me, the three PL aspects, the, the third party logistics is essential for a, a great expansion, providing that you are planning on selling quite high volumes. Yeah, and this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because I guess this is not really an international expansion issue that the third party necessity so much as anywhere, including if you've been selling the US on FBA for five years in a row or something, and suddenly in year six, you have to think about this now. It's no different in other countries. I guess that is a problem in that you've got to find a new third party warehouse, but the basic structure is the same as all of us have had to deal with. And the same with inventory limits. It's really not surprising that Amazon should not allow its fulfillment centers, which it does not call warehouses. They're not designed for stacking up and storing stuff. They're expensive, high technology. It's taken them four iterations and 20 years to get them to the point they're at. So no wonder they don't want to just use them as a boring old warehouse for storing stuff in. So that makes sense. And as an overall system, you can see why they'd be forcing that. It is another cost point, and I guess we all have to just make our calculations based on having a 3PL. As you say, I think it's really important to to not um, only give yourself the opportunity to expand internationally just on what Amazon, although that is the main focus of this podcast and, and most people are selling, I think, but giving yourself the option of other warehouse, other marketplaces, which in, yeah, particularly in Europe, I think can be, I wouldn't say so much in the UK, but in continental Europe can really be quite big. I certainly know a few people who found that extra pathway to be a real lifesaver. In terms of stock management, I just wanted to say that 
you're going to have some choices, aren't you? Hey, if you want to make sure you don't run out of stock, then you're going to need to be overstocked. Otherwise, you're going to run out of stock, which is bad. But on the other hand, you haven't held on to too much stock, so you haven't had to have massive working capital. So you've got, you, you pay your money, you take your choice. I would suggest from experience that running out of stock is the biggest hit to profit in your business. But if you're going to stay in stock, you've got to have a lot of money tied up in stock, which means you've got to have loans or capital. So let's talk about the resources needed. Do you guys help with any of the, the financial side? Because obviously stock is another form of cash, isn't it? So it's current assets. So it's what cash gets sent into. How do you guys deal with that? And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So to Payoneer do have a, a solution, right? We have a, a working capital solution for this very reason. So yeah, Payoneer is ultimately servicing like over 5 million clients currently with, with active accounts and different resources that we have, which has, has really meant that being a large proportion with, with being e-commerce, we've had to keep up with the demands of our clients and that's yeah, allowed us to open up new offerings in working capital. What's working capital? As we're discussing, is when you're an Amazon or a Walmart seller in, in, in our example of using working capital, it's really important not to run out of cash because cash is king, of course. Um, and one of the main reasons that someone will need more cash is because they're launching a new product, they're launching in new markets, they want to prepare for peak season. So actually looking at upping their inventory count for, let's say, Q4 as an example. Payoneer have got a, a great solution, uh, which is our, our working capital offer. And what that does is that if you're a customer of ours and we have you connected, your store is connected to Payoneer um, and through to Amazon or Walmart, then what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to give you an advance on your marketplace receivables. So let's say, Michael, you're selling on Amazon UK and you are doing 100k a month, which would be great. Then we would be able to offer up to 150% the cash that you're expected to receive as an advance. Okay. So if you're hitting, let's say, July, between July and October time, and you're thinking, okay, it's going to take a couple of months for my stock to come in for, for Q4, sales is going to shoot up. I think it's like 65% um, of sales occur on Q4 on average for, for the, the average Amazon seller, which is incredible. So we're going to get more stock in. We're going to have much more aggressive ad campaigns. We're going to have a huge amount more resource. It's going to have to be pumped into that successful Q4. So that's a great use case of why someone would want a working capital offer from Payoneer. And uh, in terms of like the repayment methods, it's very in line with Amazon. So we only take a fixed fee, which is very small. We actually recover the, the payment that, that was issued as you get paid from Amazon. So on those bi-weekly disbursements. So it's a great way to be able to actually have that boost of cash when you need it. Hey folks, thank you so much for listening to our show today about Amazon global selling or international expansion. Something that many people I know have done and have added a lot of revenue and profit to their show, to their business rather. Uh, but Equally, a lot of people I know who've thought about doing it and have never got around to it because they're not sure what to do next. So hopefully this show has helped you answer some of those questions. Now, obviously, this is an overview of a sometimes rather complex process. I would think who, not how, is the answer to a lot of this stuff. Once you know that you need to have some tax compliance, whether it's VAT because you're based in the US and you need to sell in Europe and deal with VAT registration, or indeed if you're UK-based now, you have to deal with VAT registration in the individual European countries, or whether you're going the other way and going to try to sell in uh, America with sales tax or dealing with general sales tax in Canada. Whichever one of those it is, we have the partners that can help you with that. Today's experts... Uh, Tom from Payoneer obviously is from 
a company that specializes in international pay- payments. And if you want to check that out, go to amazingfba.com forward slash payoneer. That's amazingfba.com forward slash P-A-Y-O-N for November E-E-R. And those guys are very good. I've used them myself personally and my clients have as well. But also we have access to a lot of people, whether it's to do with sales tax in the USA, VAT in Europe, or even an international tax strategy for e-commerce, freight, uh, logistics, or um, any legals. We have a lot of contacts now. I have personally a lot of contacts with people and companies that I trust and who have proven to do a good job. So if you want access to those, we are currently building out a resources page, but we don't have one. We haven't had one since being live with the podcast almost six years, kind of embarrassing. So my apologies for that. But at the moment, the best thing you can do is just simply email um, admin at amazingfba.com and my poor assistant, Vaughn, who is getting more and more tasks added to his plate at the moment, will um, connect you with the right people there. So uh, admin at amazingfba.com if you want some help with picking the right partner to solve any of these individual problems. But what I would say is, uh, yes, there are hurdles to overcome. There are complications like anything in life, but there is so much opportunity. And just bear this simple thing in mind is my main takeaway. Where there is a barrier to entry, a lot of people will not bother to enter. Thus, you are reducing your competition. And I would say on Amazon particularly, but in e-commerce in general, the opportunity keeps getting bigger as e-commerce expands and expands as a percentage of retail, but so does the competition. And anything that can reduce your competition is a great competitive advantage. And I would say being willing to go where others are not willing to go um, is a great competitive advantage. So that's a reason to expand internationally. And again, it's if you don't know how to do it, don't panic. Just as long as you know what problems you've got to solve. The actual problems don't need to be done by you. You need to understand the overview, but the experts can solve it. So it's a who, not how question. And I'm happy to hook you up with the right people if you need that. Thanks very much for listening. Speak to you again in the next show. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.